The topic we have ahead of us is the fundamentals of faith, and there is so much to talk about on this particular topic. It happened to be in the year 2000, Dr. David Berger was one of the people questioned with the following question. There was an Israeli newspaper which was asked the following, which asked or posed the following question. What was the most significant book written in the last millennia? The most significant book written in the last millennia. Now that's a, it's a very thought-provoking question if you think about it. If you, if you have to, uh, if you have to look at a thousand years worth of Jewish writing and creativity over the year, over a thousand years, from the year one thousand to the year two thousand, there's a lot. There's a lot that can be said. And um, I know that many people have authored books, and uh, you know, and uh, and they should be well credited for that. But who who perhaps made the most significant impact on um, on Jewish um, on Jewish thought on Jewish life? And the, the answer that Dr. David Berger from YU submitted was an interesting one. And that is, not maybe as your mind might be racing first to perhaps Rashi, or others for him or that have had a tremendous impact on our lives, but in fact the Pirisha Mishnayas of the Rambam. The Rambam's explanation of the Mishnayas. Now, that really wasn't up there on the top ten list for the last three weeks, if you know what I'm saying. Well, so how, how did that get there? What, what's the significance of the Pirisha Mishnayas of the Rambam? And the reason he expanded was because, in fact, it is embedded in the Pirisha Mishnayos of the Rambam, in his explanation of the Mishnayos, that he describes the 13 fundamentals of faith. That's where the Rambam describes it. And this, in, this too, in, in Dr. Berger's eyes, was such a watershed event, was such a, was such a um, turnaround in faith, that um, it has a significance as it impacted us on a daily basis in our prayers, in, um, and in our outlook on the world. Now, happens to be that um, whenever, you, whenever you see research done on this particular topic, there's two schools of research which, are, which I find interesting. And there are those people who will spend a lot of time, who will focus a lot of energy on the background. You know, why did he say them? Where did it come from? Who disagrees? Who else disagrees? How to defend who disagrees? And, how to do, and then who else disagrees after that? And there's a lot of work and a lot of ink spilt and lots of articles and books written and book reviews written and defenses throughout the centuries and a lot actually in the last, and already in the last 25 years, there was a lot written as well, particularly on this topic. We're going to get to that next week. But at the same time, then there's, a, then there's another camp which spends a lot of time trying to understand the Ikarim themselves. There's Sfarim after so, uh, Sefer after Sefer written just on trying to understand what the Yudgilmil Ikarim are themselves. What does the first one mean? What does the second one mean? What does the third one mean? And then they have a very, very thin introduction where they nominally say that this is what happened and this is why the Rambam wrote them. And I find that it's, imp- it's impossible to really understand this topic unless you do both. You can't, you can't really understand them on their own grounds if you don't understand why they were written and what, what their purpose is. But if you spend all your time pontificating about why they were written without actually understanding what they are, then I feel you've, you've, you've missed the boat as well. So what we're going to do is we have a lot of time not this morning, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but we have a lot of time over the summer. This is going to be a summer series where we're going to be able to start, get a sense of context, and then be able to go through one by one, or perhaps we'll do in, in groups or natural groupings as we go through. So that by the end of the summer, we'll be able to say, we understand, we understand to a certain degree why, what, and how. That's what, we go, that, that's what the attempt is. And so the first thing we need to start with is understanding the context in which they are written. So the person who, who, uh, who wrote... The, the Yudgamil Karim, or formalized in a rigid structure, was in fact the Rambam, Rav Moshe ben Maimon. Rav Moshe ben Maimon lived a very interesting life. 
I included the biography, which is um, credits to Chabad.org. But there are many different bi- biographies. Really one of the most remarkable characters in Jewish history. The Rambam was, um, was born, in fact, in Cordova, Spain. And uh, we have a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of um, details about his life. He lived from the year 1135 to 1204, according to most accountings. Which is an easy way to remember that is we can say that the Rambam lived for just less than half an hour. From 1135 to 1204, if you ever need to remember. Um, the Rambam, the Rambam at, the, at an early age, in his early teenagerhood, um, was confronted by a group in Spain, a uh, radical group of Islam, whose general philosophy was Islam or the sword. And as much as history changes, history remains the same. <laughs> and, and if you actually, it's interesting, if you look back at history, you'll notice that that has been the, the, the wave and the, and the calm of um, history under Islam is where you have, you'll have a more you know, centrist, um, accepting type of um, country which is taken over by fundamentalists, which over the, then over a few decades or centuries calms down, and then a few more right, uh, fundamentalists take over, kill, kill all the people and chase out the rest, and, then the, and, the, and the cycle keeps going. So it happened to be the, the Alawads were, the, were this particular uh, fundamentalist group, and they were, they were moving through central Spain. The Rambam and his family with his father, um, Rabbi Maimon, who was a judge of the town, had to flee southwards. They, they were in exile from town to town. And finally, they, 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 they moved into Africa, into Fez, which was a large, large um, central capital of Judaism. In fact, just the previous century was the Rav, Rav Yitzchak al-Fezi, uh, the, 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 one of the greatest halakhic codifiers uh, that, that lived um, um, was, who lived there beforehand. And in, but what happened was is that the, uh, the Islam persecutions continued and they found their way to Israel where they lived for a short while. The conditions were very terrible because, of course, living in the 12th century, who else was interested in the land of Israel? Was the, the Crusaders, right? So there was an incredible amount of... Um, there was the crossroads of war. Um, was Israel at the time was a very difficult place to live. They spent, a, a, they spent some time diving at the Kotel davening at the at the Pela, and then they made their way down to Egypt, and they found an interest, and they, they found their um, they, they established themselves in a place just outside of um, out of Cairo, and um, at this point in time, this is when the when the Rambam he was with his brother and his father, and his father passed away at an untimely an untimely age, and the the financial burden fell upon the Rambam and his brother, and so his brother David. Where actually, um, in order, he realized the greatness of his br- of of Moshe, his younger brother, um, and in fact, he, it happened to be that um, already by now the Rambam was almost finished his Pirush Mishnayos, meaning on the, on the camel, you know, between all these different places, you know, the five years in Fez and the, the little bit, the the, the the small amount of time in Israel and all the, the the time that the Rambam was in exile. By this time, he was almost finished his work, the Pirush Mishnayos, which is this colossal work, um, written actually in Arabic. Most of the Rambam's works are written in Arabic, and um, and at this point in time, the, David, his brother, realized the you know everybody realized the incredible nature of the Rambam, and he went out to work to support the family. He was a merchant, and he uh, he did trade in <coughs> India, and for a number of years he was supported by his brother until one day in Nebach on a um, there was a there was a storm, and his brother was killed upon um, on the high seas. And at this point in time, the Rambam, who at this point in time had the <coughs> space of scholarly <coughs> pursuit where he could really academically pursue all the, all the things that he was looking to expand, um, the Rambam had to also find a profession. So he, he was also trained by his father, who was not only a dayan in the city that they were from beforehand, but his father was also a philosopher and, and, um, and introduced the Rambam into the world of medicine. 
and the Rambam started developing his um, his um, his uh, his career as a physician, and he he introduced so many revolutionary interventions that were not accepted at that time. That in fact his name his name was um, became known to many, and he ended up being the 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 physician of the of the Sultan, and in fact Saladin himself. Um, um, used the Rambam as his chief physician. And interestingly enough, I saw in the biography, Rabbi Ario Kaplan mentions that not only that, but that Richard the Lionhearted made an offer that the Rambam should be his personal physician. And the Rambam, in fact, had turned that down. This is, this is how revolutionary the Rambam was in the world of, just in the world of medicine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how, I mean, that, that's, that's what, minakotze lakotze, right? And, um, and um, at the same time, the Rambam was able to turn out another two major, major works. The one was um, his Yad HaChazaka, his, um, his, um, which literally means the strong hand. The reason why it's called the Yad is because Yad is 14. He wrote 14 books, which up till now was not, never done. What he did was he took all the information in the Talmud and he, he really, in a certain sense, distilled it into conceptual areas of halacha. And not just the practical halacha. He wrote a book about the korbanos, which he, you know, today when we need to understand the intricacies of halacha about korbanos, there's no shulchan aruch on that now. We go to the Rambam. The Rambam was able to distill all information, not based on the actual, the Gemara itself, in the order of the Gemara, which was what everybody had been doing up till then and later on as well. He now codified it into, into intellectual, um, separate um, ideas and uh, packages. It's interesting that if you visit the Rambam's grave, which is in Tiveria, you'll notice that, that it's, a, it's beautifully arranged, that there's 14 marble pillars that water flows through all the way down, and each one has one, a name of each of the books of the Yad as you, as you go up. It's, it's very beautifully done. Um, and finally, at the end of his life, he wrote, um, um, he wrote the Mori Nebuchim, the guide for the perplexed. And of course, in between, there's the Igros, the letters he sent the, to, to Yemen and to Igros Tichayas in defense of some people who were criticizing him. The Ramam got lots of criticism for what he said. It took a while for us as Jews to accept him and realize how incredibly important his works are. Um, and it's interesting that the Moran Nebuchim comes at the end because the Ramam says in his introduction to Moran Nebuchim that Moran Nebuchim is not for the, you know, the, the kids at risk. Moran Nebuchim is, in fact, what is... <coughs> For a person who's monochrysa that means to say a person who's ingested all the significant parts of the Talmud and is quite comfortable with them, and at that point in time, I want to understand the Torah through the philosophical prism, that's what the modern Nebuchim is for. So it's, you know, it's, not, it's not a child's game, it's, and it's, it happens to be that he wrote that at the end of his life. So this is, this is in general what the Ramam did, and it is interesting that the Yudgil Mi'akarim appear, appear only in the Pirish Mishnahis. The Ramam does not mention the 13 principles of faith in his Yad, in his halachic work, and does not appear in the, in the Moran Nebuchim explicitly. <coughs> is that interesting? Which, may, which, is, which is the reason for which is going to cause us a lot of... Uh, uh, try to understand what the Ramam was really getting at in his particular work. So let's just, let's just review quickly what the Yudgimul Ikarim are before we uh, jump into it further. Source 2. This is where the Ramam actually writes it. I, I included over here actually everything. This is, just, this is his, his, his text himself. No omissions. He starts off by saying, we're not going to read them all, it's going to read the introduction. He says, I want to mention to you something here. He says that the, uh, the, the, the fundamentals of our Torah is 13. Interestingly enough, where, where is this actually mentioned? The Pirush Mishnah is the beginning of Perik Chelek, the last 
perik, potentially the last perik, depending on which order it's in, of the Mishnayos of Sanhedrin. And he has an, a long essay in his introduction here. At the end of this essay, at the beginning of the essay, is talking about world to come and um, um, he, the very famous debate he has about what um, Mashiach is going to look like. And at this point in time, this is where the Ramam indicates at the end of this the 13 principles of faith. Just to, just to see the, the headlines of each, the first one is the, the, the idea that God exists, that's very important. Um, the number two is the Achdusa Yisale, that means to say that Hashem is, um, is unified. That means to say that even in earthquakes in Nepal and in Holocaust, just, just to understand what the Ramam is trying to understand, we're going to get to that in, in depth, that there's a, there's a sense of godliness in every aspect of this world. The number three, that means to say that God is not in any form limited to form, not limited also to logic. The God is not limited to a particular shape. You know, the, um, we're going to get to this. is going to be a very interesting and, con- and controversial one when we get to, when we get to it inside. Number four is That means to say that God is the ultimate. Be- um, originator of all of all being. You know, you should know in those days in the Greek philosophy, they uh, understood that the world, in fact, was just was. Meaning, there wasn't a beginning point. The Ramah spent a spent long, long time in modern Nebuchim with the many, many step proofs trying to prove that the world actually had a beginning point. It took science a little while to catch up. And then, actually in the 60s, when they finally proved the Big Bang, then they realized that what the Ramah was saying philosophically was actually true on a, on a, on a physical plane as well. Um, the Ramah says in the Yesoda Echamishi is the fifth one is that means to say that we can only serve God and we can't serve any of His helpers, right? Any other power that Hashem um, vests in this world, we, we, don't, we don't speak to them. It's also going to be very interesting. We discussed this a little while back when we talked about Shalom Aleichem earlier this year. Which do we, when we speak to the angels, that's going to be an interesting topic. As do are we allowed to ever speak to angels and to elicit anything from them? The sixth one is nevuah prophecy, and it's interesting that he divides this into two because number seven is the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. So obviously Moshe Rabbeinu's nevuah is actually so significant. We have to think about that. Why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu's nevuah is significant so much that so that it actually requires its own yesod? And look how long he leaves number seven. Number seven is huge. In fact, it's the whole chapter in Yesod Torah. And finally, in um, um, 8, that, that everything in Torah is from heaven. That means to say that precludes biblical authors, as you'll see in many, in, in many papers of academia today. There were, God was the author of the Torah. There weren't any, any helpers or editors. 9 is Yosoda Tishia Bhua Bittel, and what that means to say is that Torah Moshe Lotabatel. That's very important. That means to say that. Um, that, uh, that, uh, that Hashem, that then anything is sort of time limited and that there's going to be, uh, that Hashem is going to actually change the Torah. And related to that is number 10, is that Hashem is not going to, uh, not, it doesn't misunderstand humanity. And He's not going to say, you know, at a certain point, you know what, the Jews will write for, 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 for two temples and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll start again. Which uh, is what uh, our sister religion or our daughter religion um, has suggested, uh, Christianity, um, later Islam. No, the notion of abrogation. Um, Hashem is going to pay you back, good and bad. Number 12 is that there will be Mashiach. This one is a more famous song. And finally, the 13 is, 
The Rambam says the 13th one is Tchiyas um, HaMezim, resuscitation of the dead. Interestingly enough, the Rambam was accused of denying Tchiyas HaMezim, which is why he wrote a whole letter called Igeres Tchiyas HaMezim. But it's funny to think because <laughs> it's actually one of his 13. So... Um, um, it's interesting, there was a lot of controversy about this last particular one. He actually spent a lot of time prior to this doing this. Now, there are a lot of questions we can ask. A lot of questions. Just, just from reading this list, the Rambam suddenly, suddenly you know, pulls, pulls, pulls down the curtain, and here we have the 13. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of questions we can ask. Number one is, is what happened beforehand? I mean, did the Rambam invent these? Did the Rambam suddenly, this, this is the first time we've heard of this? Were there 13 ever beforehand? Where did he get them from? Right, this, and number two is, is also we have to ask ourselves, is what's the difference between these and the rest? You know, like, there are lots of important mitzvahs. There really are. Zechi Yetzirah Mitzrayim, right? We talk about the fact that we have to remember going out of Egypt. That's very important. That's significant. We mention it in Kiddush. We talk about it all the time. Why is that on one of the 13? Meaning, what makes, what distinguishes, the, that these are obviously very important, and of course, you know, they, they, they're very, you know, these are significant, and they, a lot of weight rests on them. But there are other things in Judaism, right? The, we, we can talk about the fact that God is present, that there's free will, there's lots of other important things that you could say are very important, very significant, and they're not in here. So what actually makes the cut, what doesn't make the cut according to the Rambam, that, that makes this list or doesn't? Very important question. Also, also, a question which we're going to spend a lot of time on is, does everybody agree? Meaning the Rambam says, ta-da, here you have the 13. Does everybody say yes? Do they agree with them? Meaning whatever significance they have, whatever their distinct, distinct significance is, does everybody agree to that? By the way, there's, a, there, there's an indication, I just want to leave this on the table, there's an indication that they are universally accepted. I want to leave that on the table just for a moment, just to think, that, think about that. If we, in our, in our small capacity, can think about throughout the histories, if the Ramam was accepted or not, there is there's a very simple indication that he was. But I'm going to leave that just for a, for a moment for you to, to, to chew on. Um, but let's, let's, uh, let, us, uh, let, let us start at the very beginning. Where did the Ramam get this from? Yes. But where does he say that this is... These are the 13, and anybody, any Jew who doesn't accept this, he's out of the pale. We haven't said anything yet. All I'm presenting right now is the Ramam gives you 13, and he says these are the yesodos of our faith, these are the foundations <coughs> of our faith. I'm asking that question, is what makes them different? There might be one answer, but let, let, let's get there stage by stage to see how they're different. But let's, let's build up from, from scratch, no, 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 no assumptions or presumptions. So let's start at the beginning. Where did the Rambam actually pull these, pull these out of? And I, you know, where were these hiding? If you go through all of the Mishnah, you will not find any place that the Mishnah ever says that there are 13 fundamentals of faith. The Mishnah never says it. Um, we do happen, it happens to be that 13 is an important number in Judaism. Right? So it, it features in the song, Who Knows What? Right? But, that's, that's, that's not, but that, that happened later. Um, it happens to be that the 13 in that song is... As Alan said, the Yudgimel Midaya, right? The 13 attributes of, um, of Hashem's mercy. So one would, have, one would question, one would wonder if there happens to be a connection. Happens to be a beautiful, beautiful piece. If you just turn to the last source just for a moment. A beautiful, beautiful piece at the Shla. This is um, Rav Yeshaya Horowitz Alevi, one of the foremost Kabbalists living in the 1500s, says the following. He says um, he has a whole section over here in Shara Osios, and um, he, so he talks about different aspects of Judaism, and in this section it's called Emes Ve'emuna, in section Aleph. And um, he says the following, um, in paragraph 44, He says, I found an ancient prayer 
in the name of Tavyomi. Now it happens to be that Tavyomi is the name of one of the teachers in the Jerusalem Talmud. So if this is true, if what he's saying is, is actually accurate in terms of the notion this is connected to this, this means to say we're talking about a very ancient prayer. And this is the, this is the text of the prayer. Zen Nusra. This is its, um, its Nusach. Yiratzon milfonecha Hashem. Hamakudash Shloish Esrei. Hashem who is sanctified in 13. Leman Avram v'Yitzchak harishonim v'Brisos Shloish Esrei. For Avram and Yitzchak who were in the 13 Brisos. What does that mean, by the way? It's just an interesting point. What, what's the 13 covenants? Happens to be that if you go through the parish of Mila, at the end of Lech Lecha, you'll notice that the word bris is, is mentioned 13 times. And the Gemara says that there's a significance on the fact that, there's the, that this circumcision, this pact that's made with Avram Avinu, or the Jewish people, really, essentially, is through the murder of 13 as well. Interestingly enough, I think that's what he's referring to. Uleman Yaakov ish tam And for Yaakov Avinu, who had 13 descendants, 13? I'm not sure if he's referring to either Dina here or if I'm a Menashe who's split into two. Not sure, no, no, not sure here. Techaneni im grace me mim kaima Torah and yreshes bimidos shloshes, right? Include me in those who keep your Torah of 13. Uberchani le dabek be le shamreni mim mikre. And save me from happenstance, meaning save me from that dimension of the world that runs in cause and effect. Elevate me to hashkacha pratis. Veloyimna umimeni midos ha shloshes, right? And don't exclude me from the 13 meadows. The ha'er ponecha elai, and turn your face or light your face to me. Voitzish sechli lepoel Torah v'tachaneni v'edacha b'shem im yosher ikre shloishesre. And I should know you through your 13 principles. V'tisa ziv shchinosra elai v'alai tishre v'tasim lishala mehamonim b'eile ha'shloishesre. And so it's interesting that according to this prayer, this ancient prayer, it sounds like that 13 is not just those original 13s, but he's already talking about the Ikarim. Now, whether this predates the Rambam or not, it's very hard to know because this document is not extant elsewhere except in the Shlah himself, um, in the name of Tav um, But be it as it may, this may be an indicator, maybe on a Kabbalistic level, that there was something, this, the, this, this notion existed beforehand. We have very little documentation of such an idea. Um, but so it's it's hard to know the veracity of this of, of this in terms of historically. Certainly afterwards, there's a very clear connection to the 13s. But this is an interest. This is a collector's item in terms of I'm um, trying to understand where this starts with. But on a more practical level, where does the Ram get it from? So <coughs> the most simple place to look here is where was the Purim Mishnah is written on which Mishnah? So the the Mishnah, the Mishnah is actually the, at the introduction of Perik Chelak. Perakhelik in Sanhedrin starts with the following mission. This is in source one. Um, the first part is a song, but interestingly enough, the Mishnah doesn't. Con- the Mishnah is not fully a song. Listen to how, to how it goes. Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Chelik lo lavavosh enemar v'ameich kulam tzadikim lo alam yirshu eretz neitzer matoai maaseyadal hispoer. That that every Jew, every person, every human being, actually, oh, in this case, Israel. Every Jew has a place in the world to come. That's beautiful. And listen to the pasuk and Amech Kulam Tzadikim. Everybody's righteous, right? This is this is this is the way to go. And the song goes, and then the rest of the mission continues. These are the folks that did not get in. Three people. The mission says a person who denies Torah from heaven, a person who says that uh, there's oh there's no there's no resuscitation of the dead, and an apikoros. Um, Apikoros is a complicated term to understand. Some people say it's, it, it relates to the Greek philosopher Epicurus, 
Whereas the Rambam actually says it's more of an expanded category, actually, when he, when he discusses this in his Hakdama. Even a person who reads external books, these are all very complicated topics. A person who whispers over a maka, this is, this is some form of witchcraft. A person who's using psukim to try to heal himself in a way which is obviously not, um, not uh, conditioned. And the Mishnah continues. Now, it's, it, at this point in time, what the Rambam does is, it seems like this, the Rambam is using this as the source base for his, his principles. The Rambam actually paskins this Mishnah in Halacha, in his Yad. I, did not, I was not able to include it, because the reading continues and continues and continues, and uh, as, as we go, we expand. I didn't have to include it in this source, but the Rambam in Hilchus Shur Per Gimel says, and he paskins this, this is just... Um, out loud, Paragimel Halachavavi says, These are the people who are not um, in, included in the fold. They get judged for their, their evil forever and ever and ever. <laughs> That's a very long time. Okay, when, when the Rambam is explaining that. Well, that means eternity. Okay, so, so that means to say that when you, when you graduate from this world, according to the way the Rambam understands that that's when the world comes starts, that means to say you don't enter at all. That's a very serious, that's a very serious implication. The Rambam says, Aminim, a person who's a min, that's a hard category to understand. Hapi Korsim, Vakorvim Batora, Vakorvim Tchias Amesim, Vakorvim Biasa Goyal, Vamushumodi, Machtia Rabim, Uporshim Idarchet Sibur. And the Rambam has a whole list of people who actually don't make the cuts. And he's expanding a little bit on this mission itself. And he has a number of categories, Minyan and Mishramadim and Kaifrim Batara, and all these people deny these different aspects. Some people suggest that Minim refers to actually Christianity, not so clear, Mikan Yesha Notsri, some people say. Uh, I think it's more of an a, a, a actual a, a intellectual structure than, than, than that itself. Um, but um, as it may, what, what a number of the Mepharshim, the Nosei Kedem on the Rambam over here on the Yad say, is what actually is going on is that the Rambam is essentially, what he does is he looks at this Mishnah and the people who don't make it, and he expands that category into a list. And if you carry on through that list as he expands them, you'll notice all of the 13 over here and a few extras are the people who don't get a Chalik and Olam So what's the Rambam essentially doing? The Rambam is really reconfiguring the people who don't make it into... What you should believe in order to make it. That's what the Rambam seems to be, seems to be doing over here. And I was, I'm, I'm looking at the mission. The mission tells me who's out, out the door. So I'm going to tell you what you need to do in order to get into the door, to get onto the train. That's what the Rambam seems to be doing. Interestingly enough, in his list over here, there's about 24. And when you go through the, the, his, his expansion over here in the Yadah Chazaka. And it's interesting that only 13 of them reflect themselves in terms of actual Yesodos. Um, um, into, into our fundamentals. And we have, it'll be interesting to notice why the Rambam does that per se. Very interesting question that we're going to have to consider. But be it as it may, um, what, um, what is interesting still is, if that's true, if that's really true, and the Rambam looks into this mission and he sees that reflected from this mission is our principles of faith, then why is it that the mission was just so complicated about it? Why couldn't the mission say, folks, you want, to, you want on, you want the ticket, here's, here's what you need to do. And the Rambam himself, when he passes this, in his... He doesn't say it. He doesn't say, this is what you need to do. He just says the same thing as the Mishnah. This is what you can't do in order to, you know, or if you don't do, you're going to be, you know, out 
of the fold for eternity. And he doesn't, he doesn't say this is what you should believe. That's only in the Pirosh Mishnahs, which we just saw a moment ago. So why is that? Why, is the Mishnah, why does the Mishnah only focus on the negative? Why does the Ramam when Paskin that Mishnah only focus on the negative? And then, by the way, as a footnote, in his Pirosh Mishnahs, that's where the Ramam starts saying, I'm going to tell you about the 13 principles that you need to believe in order to be in the fold. Very strange. It's very strange that, that the Rambam would be doing such a thing. Very, very important question to, to consider. But um, we, we discussed a little bit of this when it came to, uh, when it came to uh, um, the mention of, of the world to come. We, did a, we, did, we learned together just about a month and a half ago the importance of the world to come and why it isn't in the Torah. And we went through a number of Pirushim, and one of the Pirushim we went through was the Rambam himself. The Rambam in Hilchos Shuvah explains, you know the reason why the Torah doesn't <coughs> emphasize Olam Abba? We know that there's Olam Abba. The Torah Shabbat Peh is completely um, saturated with the notion of Olam Abba. We talk about it all the time. We talk about it in our davening every day, many times. We talk about it all the time in our, in our fundamentals, um, in our davening, in, our, in, our, um, in Torah Shabbat Peh. However, the Torah Shabbat Peh doesn't focus on it. Does that mean it doesn't exist? Of course it exists. Why doesn't the Torah Shabbat Peh focus on it? The Ram says, the notion is, incentivization. If the Torah is going to lay down the rules and say, I want you to do this in order that you should gain access, you know what, you know what everybody's going to be doing? You're going to have these spiritual hedonists running around trying to, find, trying to find mitzvahs in order to increase their portfolio of getting in. That's what's going to happen. Of course you need to be doing it. And of course that's the outcome. But the Ramam understands that the reason why the Torah de- defocuses, places less emphasis on the Olam itself in the Torah Shavit is in order to be able to create an incentivization, not just to be able to increase your personal portfolio. Perhaps, interestingly enough, when the Mishnah does it, the Mishnah is the most remarkable educational tool. Not only in the fact, you know, it's very hard to learn Mishnah, because the Mishnah is formulated in such a way that you need to have tradition in order to be able to bridge all the contradictions and gaps. The Mishnah is an extremely carefully constructed tool of education. We, maybe at some point we should do a shir just on the formulation of the Mishnah and why and how it is formulated. Very interesting. But be as it may, what the Rambam understands over here is, is that the Mishnah over here is, not, is trying to tell us a very important thing. If you're going to step over a, a red line, and that's going to, for, for, for you, is going to be the end of your existence in Israel for all eternity, the Mishnah needs to tell you that. That's a no-no, right? The Mishnah is going to tell you about that. But the Mishnah is not going to come along and tell you that you have to do this in order to be able to get into Olam because the incentivization process now begins, that everybody starts thinking, well, you know, I'm not going to learn the rest of the Torah, I'm just going to learn about this, and I'm going to focus on this, and I'm going to stay, about, and I'm going to stay talking about this, and everybody I speak about, I'm going to try to get into this pyramid program, and that's what's going to end up happening. So the Ramam understands this, this is the, the subtlety of education over here. Of course there are 13 principles. Of course there's a reflection of getting onto the train when the Torah talks, when the mission talks about how you, how you step off or you fall off that train. But it's all about incentivization. Perhaps this is the way the Ramam formulates it. Very interesting thing to, to, to consider and to contemplate. As we go further and we see the detractors of the Rambam, we're going to need to deepen this a little bit. As we see the detractors of the Rambam and the critiques the Rambam has, numerous and tens of questions, that Barbara Nell is going to list tens and tens of questions people have on the Rambam. We're going to have to deepen this a little bit. But let's, let's take it further. How do these differ? Are these, are, these, uh, are these dramatically, remarkably different to anything we've ever, uh, we've ever seen? Why is this different to uh, Shabbos? Shabbos is pretty important. You know, when we talk about a person who's, you know, you know, a, a from Jew today, we talk about, you know, Shomer Shabbos. You know, so how is this different? How are these 13 principles actually different for, from Shabbos itself? The Ram tells us himself. Let's take a look at, at how he says it. Very, very, very stark and dangerous language. At this point in time, you should actually know what the difference is. Right? Because if 
what the Rambam is doing over here is reflecting on a Mishnah which says, then what do you, what, how are these in fact different? These mean to say that if you don't believe in them, you don't have a chelik in the Lama right? That if that's where the Rambam is getting it from, then the, the outcome of that logic would be that if you don't believe in these, you're off the train. Let's, let, let, let's see it inside. The Rambam says that himself, this is the end in source 3, this is the end of his section in Pirish Amishnais, he says, If a person really, truly believes in these principles, You're part of the club. You're part of Israel. All the mitzvahs which relate to Ben Adam Lachavera of a Jew apply to this individual because you're part of the club. You have a fellow, you know, in general, you know, he, uh, he believes in God, he believes in the 13 principles, you know, but he has a problem, you know, he, you know, he's a, you know, he's a chainsaw massacrist, you know, so, you, you know, everybody's human, right? So, so what happens is the Rambam says, you can have a person who has things he's struggling with. But in the end of the day, he's still an Israelite with a problem. He's going, to get, he's going to get fried. He's going to really suffer terribly for all the things he did. But the point is, he's still in the club. He's still part of Israel who's getting punished as an Israelite. Whereas, look at the, the terrifying flip side of this line. You can have a person who is perfect in all his Shemir HaSamitzvahs. Everything he does, he drinks Chalav Yisrael. He does everything, everything he can possibly want and, 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 um, and do. But he, he doesn't believe in one of these. Says the Rambam, that person, it's not like, oh, well, you know, he's going to get punished for that. That person isn't part of the club. That person's out the fold. That's terrifying. If you contrast the two people the Rambam has been talking about over here, you can have people who sin and will get punished for it, but they're still Jews. And there are people who do everything perfectly but are not necessarily Jews because they're missing, they're missing one of these. That's a very, very heavy statement. That's an extremely heavy statement. We're going to have to see if this is agreed upon by all. But how do these differ, says the Rambam? We don't need to, we don't need to philosophize. The Rambam is telling us. How are these different? These make the difference whether you're considered part of the club or not. And where do we know? And where do we know the Rambam got that from? Because he's getting it from that Mishnah. That's what he, he understands as the direct application of this Mishnah. Nobody's going to be in the club. <laughs> Good question. So the question is: Is today, and we have to contemplate this. We're going to get to this in just a few minutes. Is today there are a lot of people who may not have this based on their education, their upbringing, their miseducation, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of people who don't necessarily know this. You can also ask on another level, is what about children, you know? So, so you have, a, let's say, a child who's just graduated, it just, just becomes Bar Mitzvah, right? So a child who's just become Bar Mitzvah doesn't necessarily have all the philosophical underpinnings. Does it mean that because they don't know this, right? How does, how does the Ramam really ex, um, um, express itself? Very, very difficult Ramam to understand. Um, and we're going to have to consider this throughout history. So is this, the, jumping straight, and straight into that point, is... Um, Jumping straight into that point, how different this is. Um, there, is a, there is a lot of disagreement, there's a lot of contention on this particular point. One example is, if you can just turn to the top of page 6. The Rambam says the following. Um, he says, um, this is in Hilchas Shuvah. The Rambam is, this is the section we were just reading just beforehand. One part of it. 
He says, Chamisha hain hanikroim minim. There are five people, there's five subcategories of the type of person called a min, and they are the following. A person says there's no God, that's the reflection of course of number one. Okay? Then he says, He's got a few you know, family members. Um, <laughs> maybe two. Um, or you say that, you know what, there's only one, but he, you, know, the, you, know, you, can, you can see him, you can point to him, he's that, he's that you know, that, that, that being who floats above the earth with the white beard and glasses, right? That's the kind of picture we all have. And a person says that he was not the first and the formation, formation of everything. Tzurim doesn't mean just rock. It means to say former. Um, a person who serves some sort of intermediary. Each one of these five is a min, and you can see each one of these reflects to one of the Yudgimil Karmishas. This is an example. So the Rivet, Rabbeinu Avram, Rabbeinu Avram, just, uh, if I could just wait for questions because we just have five minutes left. The, the, the Rivet says the following Avram says, this is his own comments on the, on the Rambam. How, how can you call this person a min, a person who believes that God is, um, has, has form? There are people who are greater and better than him. Who's him? The Rambam. The Rambam. This is a very sharp comment. He says, there are people who are greater than the Rambam who made that conclusion because they looked into the Torah and they saw that the Torah talks about God walking in God's hands and God's anger and all these kinds of things. And they came to the conclusion based on their study and their research that in fact God did. You're going to call those people not Jews according to what the Rambam is saying? So you see over here an interesting thing. You have a lot of things to see from this rivet. We're going to have to keep coming back to this. One thing you see from this rivet is, is, is the following. Does the, by the way, does the rivet believe that God has a body? Yeah. No. Yeah. And in fact, uh, just uh, Rav Isidore Tversky in his, in, um, um, Dr. Isidore Tversky in his, in his, um, in his bi- uh, biography of the rivet points out that the rivet himself says in his other book, that in fact God, of course, does not have a body. What's the rivet disagreeing on? Whether the guy is enough. Exactly. The rabbi, what the rabbi is saying is, is, does such a person have such a, such a belief? Is he excluded from the club? That's, that's what the rabbi is saying. So this might be, and the question you have to ask yourself is, is this rabbi talking about all of them, or is he saying specifically this one, because the Torah seems to lend itself to the fact that God does seem to be corporeal in the way it describes, it, it describes Hashem? Um, but over here you see already that there's like sort of cracks in, um, in, the, in, in terms of the firmness of the Rambam's statement about whether you're in or out. Take us a little further. We're going to do a lot of research next week, hopefully, on Rav Yosef Alboy. Rav Yosef Alboy wrote, wrote a book called Sefer Ha'ikarim. Um, and um, the, the book is about the belief in God. It, he actually was one of the people who, who debated the Christians in Tortosa. And, um, and uh, he wrote a book which is prime, spends a lot of time actually critiquing the Rambam. And in it, he says the following. Um, we don't actually have the time to read it inside, but in Source 5, you can see the Sefer Ha'ikarim points out that... Um, that a person who unfortunately arrives at the wrong conclusion because of their philosophy and, uh, and therefore believes particular things about the Rambam isn't a person who is a kofer or a min, but rather is a person who needs re-education. And he gives Rivet as an example. And his last line was, He's a person who's sinning, but he's sinning by mistake and requires atonement. That's very different. That's a far cry from what the Rambam said. The Rambam said, he doesn't, it's not that he needs a kapara, he's just actually out. He's fallen off the, the moving vehicle. 
the the, river, the, the Sefer Ha'ikarim understands he lessens the blow and the severity of these 13 principles. It's interesting to understand what the Sefer Ha'ikarim is trying to achieve, what the Ramam is trying to achieve, and why they differ. That's what we're going to start with next week. But there's a famous piece, and with this I'd like to close. There's a famous piece, and that is, is regarding a person who is a, what we call, you know, an accidental, an accidental non-believer. Um, what happens if you're not an, an if, you, if you don't, you, you, uh, you came to the wrong conclusion? What, what about that? So, famously, Rabbi Rav Chaim of Brisk is known, noted as saying, and he's quoted by two, two of his Talmidim, um, as saying the following. In one incident is in Source 8, in the Kobetz Ma'amari, that um, that means to say that a person who unfortunately has the wrong belief system is nebach, it's unfortunate, but he's still an apikoris. Meaning, if you've got the wrong system of values, you're still out of the fault. So he takes the Rambam, the Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik, takes the Rambam very much based on, based on what, he, what the Rambam formulated to the extent that even a mistake lends itself to, to, uh, to, being, uh, to being excluded from the club, which is a very severe statement. The question is, is why? The question is why? Um, I'd like to just um, perhaps just investigate one possibility this morning and as we close, and we'll start off with the next one as we start off next week with disagreement with the Raman. And the reason is very simple. Um, this, is, this is what Rabbi J. Uh, J. David Blach has in his book. He has, a, he has a book on the 13 principles of faith, an extensive book, very dense book as, um, as, he, um, as he, he does. He actually was a professor originally before he wrote his contemporary halachic issues. He was actually a professor in philosophy, actually. Um, very, very ta- talented individual. And um, he, Ra- Rab Leich says the following. He says that, you know, let's say you have a, you have a student in college and the, and, um, and the, and the student um, has, um, is taking a semester of algebra and for whatever reason, you know, they, uh, they got rheumatic fever, Rachman al-Nitzan, you know, the dog ate the homework, whatever else it is, they were not able to complete their course in algebra. And they have, they have, they, they're, able to, they're able to present all the necessary paperwork. They have the doctor's note, they have the, the parent's note, they, um, every, everything they can possibly present. And so the professor says, you know what, um, you're, you're right, you're, you, you have a thing, I can't punish you for that, because you, you have, you know, it was, it was beyond your control for whatever reason, that dog... Um, you know, whatever whatever else re- um, reason it was, you you are um, you are uh, you are um, and it, it is understood. But at the end of the day, can you take calculus next semester? You can't take calculus because you just don't have the prerequisites. Meaning, it's not it's not like you're getting punished now. It's you simply don't have the necessary information to be able to go on to the next stage of learning. So what Rabbi Blach understands is that a person who doesn't have these things, the Rambam himself describes in his introduction to the 13 principles, it's not really introduction, but it's discussing the world to come. The Ramam's understanding of the world to come is a cerebral place. It's a place where you have access to it because of your belief system. If there's a flaw in your belief system, it means to say, you don't have the algebra. You can't get to the next stage. It's, you might be excused, but you simply can't be part of that club because the club is by knowing. The club is by your, your being a person who is aware of God is the type of thing that allows you to be close to God. Not having that means to say, you don't necessarily, you aren't part of that club. Which is, very, which is a very weighty thing, but it, it also lends significance into what the Ramam is trying to achieve over here. The Ramam is understanding that this is not, you know, you need to be carrying 13 tickets when you walk into Alam Abba. He's understanding that Alam Abba is based on being um, in the mindset of knowing a God who is such. That's that what is what Alam Abba is. According to the Rambam, um, I'd like to close with. Uh, we, there's more to discuss, and this just time is um, 
Oh, I'm holding us back at this point. We're going to start next week with a little more expansion. But, just, just to uh, conclude on the following note, wh- how is it that we know that the Ramam, in fact, is universally accepted, despite the many articles and books written on the topic in the last, in the last two decades? Because it appears in the Siddur how many times? Uh, the Ramam appears in the Siddur actually twice. There are Yugimul Karim. The first time is after Davening, where we say Animamin. Animamin was not written by the Rambam. It was written about a century later. But it, for the last 500 years, every Siddur has said Animamin, said on a daily basis. Whether why you said on a daily basis, we'll, we'll get to Mesa Hashem. Uh, but the other time, where's the other time that we say it? Is Yigdal, which we said on Friday night. Um, Yigdal, in fact, the reason why we always end up repeating Hamesim, right? The last, the, the last, the Mesim Yechayakel. Why is, why is the, bar, the, the boy is always singing it repeated? Because it's not an even number. Why is it not an even number? Because there are 13 lines. Why are there 13 lines? Because it's all about the Yigdal Karim. Each one of them is a one to one map of the Yosodos of the Rambam. So what we go, and it's interesting that they are good approximations. They're not, not, not accurate fully, fully, fully to the Rambam. So what we're going to do is, as we study each one of them, we're going to go through the Yasod and see how the Ani Mamin and the Yigdal actually maps it out in a, in, a, in, a, in a summarized version as we go through it. What we have ahead of us next week is actually a very interesting part of the topic, is, is we're going to go through the generations and see all the people who disagree and why they disagree, coming down to actually very, very contemporary times, which is still a burning hot issue actually in the academic world um, up to very, very recently, really the last 10 years. There's been a very big, very heated give and take on this particular on this particular topic, and with that we'll be able to start hopefully the Rambam himself inside in the Yisodos itself.